0: Welcome back to the show. This is, I'm having a couple technical issues, so forgive me. I trust that now my voice is going out. Welcome back to the show after a great holiday. I pray and trust that your Christmas was really good. May the Lord, uh, that the Lord blessed you and your family. Now it's time to get ready for a brand new year. Hey, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the word to stand on for life a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart or mind, all you have to do is call us. 340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR numerically that's 6305757 you can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app if you are driving in your car the safest way to call safest way to call is to use our uh, the free KSLR mobile app just hit the uh, call now, banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. A couple of things. One, scheduling. And then the first one is just, uh, I, I'm this Mountain Cedar now is kicking my rear end. So if I take cough breaks, they'll be very brief. But they're going to be there. I can promise you that. Uh, scheduling this week, uh, we're going to be live Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday this week. Just as we did last week uh, on the program. And then Thursday for New Year's Eve and on New Year's Day, we will have repeat broadcasts. And then finally, we get back the next Monday, everything, uh, when we get back on Monday, everything will be back to normal. And I always love it when we get back to normal after the holidays and stuff like that. So we'd love your calls and questions. A couple of things. um, Well, one thing before we start with the questions. Uh, I would prefer not to talk about this, um, but I've had uh, listeners who have been emailing me uh, about Ravi Zacharias and the situation, the information that's come to light about him. uh, And because uh, everybody in this program knows that I have been a a Ravi fan for a very, very long time, um, then um, uh, they want my comment on what's going on. Um, here's the first question. They wanted to know if uh, if I'd heard, and they linked me to things, and so let me explain. Again, let me apologize in advance because I am struggling with this mountain cedar coughing, so when it goes quiet for a moment, that's what it is. Uh, on Friday, no, not Friday, on Wednesday of last week, um, Rzim Ministries issued a um, a letter, um, not 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 a complete letter. They're going to deal with it um, more fully, more completely later. Um, but as many of you have read, there has been sort of an investigation going on about claims that Ravi had been uh, involved in sexually immoral relationships with uh, women at um, some massage parlors. Massage parlors, in fact, that he was a co-owner of. Um, there has been rumblings about things going on uh, at RZIM and Ra- Ravi for a long time. Um, and frankly, I, I just didn't want to get involved in the gossip, didn't want to listen to it. Uh, Ravi was a, an exceptionally gifted um, apologist. Um, he, he seemed to live a life that was above reproach. Um, his life touched millions and millions of people, and, um, now he's sort of washed it all away. The statement from RZM said that they have concluded after uh, a thorough investigation um, that uh, Ravi was guilty of the charges, and, um... Listeners to this radio program, program wanted to know what my response to that was going to be. Let me see. First of all, my heart is broken. Uh, I won't listen to Ravi any longer. It's not because he's not smart or he didn't have great things to say. It's just, and this is just for me personally. Uh, I have a really hard time listening to people talk about Jesus or teaching the Bible uh, who have been living in secret sin. Um, if, if what they're teaching isn't good enough to change them, I'll find other people. I want the message to be consistent with the messenger. And if that's not the case, then frankly, uh, it's just not, not something I'm interested in. People say I'm throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, that might be true, but but just for me, um, I, I'm simply not interested in in anything else that he has to say. I think the reason that I chose to speak about this, I mean, we had a lot of emails. Um, But the real reason is because it gives us an opportunity to be warned. Warned, one, about the power of the devil. Secondly, to to be warned about the weakness of our flesh. Um, We risk so much for so little. And I think this is one of those times when when we look at somebody who's big and famous, we see them fall, uh, and we just wonder, my goodness if they fell what about me and I think I say on this program all the time we have to be with Jesus if we're with Jesus we're going to be able to stand Uh, if we're not with Jesus then we're not going to stand it doesn't matter how much we know Um, a man who did so much good a man who um, evidently was really good at fooling people even his co-workers uh, his family were, were shocked by this um We all need to be on guard. Sin is out there. And um, it'll catch you if you're not with Jesus. So I don't think we should engage in speculation or gossip. I don't think there's any point in um, publicly thrashing Ravi. Um, um, We need to pray for his family, of course, his wife, Margie, um, his daughters, one of whom is the CEO of, of uh, RZIM Ministries. Um, we just need to keep them in our prayers. There's a lot of pain that, that is now left behind for them to deal with. We also need to pray for RZIM. It was a ministry, it is a ministry that does a lot of great work and it is staffed by some wonderful men and women who are brilliant and, uh, and very useful for the kingdom of God. Um, and they're heroes. Um, has now been exposed and we need to pray for them. We need to pray that uh, RZIM will continue doing the work, especially in college campuses all over the, the world, really. Um, pray for Michael Ramsden, for Vince Vitali, for Abdu Murray, uh, and for the whole staff there. They're 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 great people. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't try to cover up anything. In fact, uh, as it became clear that the charges against Ravi were true, um, they dealt with this quickly rather than risk any appearance of them covering it up and waiting until the 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 uh, investigation had, had completely run its course. Uh, they just came out and said, look, it looks like um, he's guilty and we need to... Um, tell the truth, and that's what they did. So please keep them in prayers, but remember this for every one of you in this audience. None of us can stand apart from being with the Lord. None of us can stand. Temptation is too strong. Our flesh is too weak. What we need to do is hold on to Jesus so tightly. Beware when you think you stand lest you fall, the Bible says. Enough about that. Let's talk about some other things. We'd love your calls and questions. Here is uh, an anonymous question that was just called into the studio. It says, I'm a Christian, and I don't believe in deja vu, but what does it mean when signs keep repeating in your life, like persecution or locations, etc.? Anonymous, it's a really hard question to decipher, uh, exactly what you meant. Deja vu uh, is just a, a trick that your brain plays on you. You have the feeling you've been somewhere before. Um, I, I think when you ask about signs keep repeating like persecution, persecution is just something that uh, that Christian life is going to be filled with. Uh, Jesus said that they hated him. They're going to hate you. He actually said that we were blessed when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Uh, he didn't say we feel blessed. He just said we are blessed. Uh, and so uh, I, I just think when you when you talk about persecution, uh, I think what we need to be sure of is that we're not the source of the persecution. We're not causing the persecution. And if they are persecuting us because of Jesus, well, then that's good. If they're they're persecuting us because we're we're doing dumb things or saying dumb things or living duplicitous lives, well, then I think that we've got to to accept the correction and make some changes in our life. And I have no idea, Anonymous, I'm so sorry, what you mean by locations um, um, at all. But um, persecution is going to be with you. Trials are going to be with you. Uh, And there's nothing that we can do to avoid them. If you'd like to give me some more information, call back in and, and I'll get a little bit more specific with you. Here is a question from our email inbox from Diana. She says, Pastor, my relationship is lukewarm. I'm a born-again Christian going on three years. I find it very upsetting, and in parentheses, it's heartbreaking that my husband doesn't want to spend time in the Word. He recently made the comment that his mom had asked him if he has his affairs in order. Then he went back and said he was referring to another family member, and I guess that's upsetting because he's lying. Uh, I know it is family that coaches my husband. We dated for 17 years before he married me. Before we were married, I was born again. Uh, I wanted to serve God, and he saw how much I loved God. I feel I made a mistake. He refuses to listen to the word. I believe that a husband should love his wife like Christ loved the church. Pastor, I'm to the point where I have no desire to pray for him. Diana, this is the reason that I often on this program and my church hears it all the time I go on these rants about unequally yoked marriages it's the one thing that people simply refuse to listen to well I love him or I love her I don't care that they're Christian God will save them or uh, I'll change him. those kind of things and and, um, Diana I deal with more pain from unequally yoked marriages than from anything else it is impossible for a Christian who loves Jesus and an unbeliever to get along. Now, I realize that there are always exceptions, but imagine how difficult it would be, even if you have one of those exceptions. Your husband or your wife is a really nice person, um, but as they come to uh, deal with with getting older and and thinking about the end of life, um, imagine never seeing them again, because they would be separated from God for eternity while you would be with Him. It's just an impossible tension. There is no reconciliation at all. Um, What I can say, Diana, is God's will that you never stop praying for him. If you are writing me because you've heard Paula's testimony or mine about her, she prayed for me for 13 years. We were already married when she got saved. So we were both unbelievers, but then she got saved and she prayed for me for 13 years. That's how stupid how proud and hard-headed I was. Um, keep praying for him. Keep praying for him. You know, if I were your pastor, um, a 17-year relationship, dating for 17 years, you're three in, three years now in the Lord, I would have told you don't marry him. So if you were born again, as you indicate here, when you got married, then it should have been something that was stopped. Don't expect him to listen to the word. Um, he has no interest in what God says. So what you need to do, First Peter chapter 3 was Paul's lifeline during those 13 years that she was praying for me, Diana. Um, Win your wife over without a word. Let the Christ in you be so beautiful, so attractive to him that he knows that there's something different about you. He sees, you said in this question, how much you love God. But here's the question, do you love Jesus enough to love your husband in spite of the fact that he's an unbeliever and doesn't care about the things that you care about? See, this is when you've got to be really, really careful. Now, when you begin by saying, Diana, that the relationship with Jesus is lukewarm, that's on you. That's not on him. You've got the Spirit of God living in you. And you have all the power you need to be filled with the joy of the Lord. In his presence, there is fullness of joy, the psalmist writes. So you, if you're with Jesus then he will give you the strength not only to, to deal with your husband but to be a light to your husband. You've had a lot of years invested. So now you're in the place where God wants you to be. What God wants you to do now is to start acting like Jesus. So the first thing for you is to renew your relationship with Jesus. You get in the word. Your husband, don't expect him to. He has no interest. But you be in the Word. You take walks with Jesus. You spend some time every day praying, just talking to Him. Don't make prayer like this spiritual chore, but but just talk to Him all day, every day. And that joy will be yours. He will give you strength to get through the difficult times and there will continue to be those difficult times in the marriage relationship. But when your husband sees that he can't steal your joy, when he sees there's something so powerful about your Jesus that it's changed you, then the Holy Spirit will be free to work on your husband. It's a very, very important thing to understand. You can't blame your lack of joy or your lukewarmness on him. It is 100% on you. Diana, What Jesus would do is open his arms to you and say, let's see you and I spend time together. Often in unequally open relationships, there's no church relationship. Diana, you need to be in a church. People that say, I'm a born-again Christian, but I don't go to church, I just think, well, that's like being cut off from the family of God. You need those relationships in the church. And so you need to be involved serve. Give with your husband's permission. Remember, he's not a believer. Uh, if he doesn't want you to give, then God understands. But please be involved in church. Serve the Lord. Use the gifts that God has given you to minister to others. And I promise you, the Holy Spirit will work on your husband. And remember, Jesus loves him. You know, when, when uh, Apollo was actually keeping a journal uh, during the whole 13 years that she was praying for me. And she'll write things down and she she's written things down like Jesus told me how much he loves Ron. And because he loves Ron, I have to love Ron. And her whole struggle is kind of there in writing. It's very embarrassing and humiliating for me. But it's really, really helpful in ministering to others. So... Diana, win is hard. He needs Christ. We'll be praying for you. Appreciate the, the question and thank you for listening. 340-9585 for your long, uh, live calls and questions. Here is a question, another anonymous one. It's a statement, not a question. Uh, I believe people are good at heart and shouldn't be denied heaven just because they're not Christians. Anonymous, you're wrong. What can I tell you? Now, what makes you think that people are good at heart. Look at the world that we live in. Just take one honest, objective look at the world around us. There is no evidence whatsoever that people are good at heart. In my flesh, Paul writes, it's no good thing. Well, anonymous, I'm a Christian. You're evidently not. Um, I have the Holy Spirit to overpower my flesh. You don't. And probably the reason you want to believe that people are good at heart is because you're hoping that if there is a God, and apparently you believe in a God, um, that he's going to grade on a curve. That's not going to happen. The standard of heaven is perfection, and only Jesus was, and that's why we have to believe. And so, compared to you, Um, I'm sure there are people who don't measure up to your standards. There's a whole bunch of people who are better than I am, but they're not saved. And I'm not going to heaven just because I'm good or because I'm a Christian. or I'm I'm, I'm going to heaven because I was born again and Jesus gave me his perfection. John chapter 3. I'd encourage you to read it, Anonymous. Jesus speaking to the man we know as Nicodemus. And he says that we are born condemned. Why? Because we have a sin nature. Paul and I were watching um, a, a, a baby, a, a little, not, not a baby, but a, a toddler who was really misbehaving. And they were lying and they were screaming. And, and I told Paul, I said, see, they don't have to be taught that. That's in us. That proves that we're sinners, as wonderful as our kids are. If you're honest, your kids are sinners. So here's what we do we go to the only one who can deal with the question of sin. And I think, Anonymous, the one thing that I can make sense of to you practically is that none of us want to go to a heaven that's not perfect. And that means only perfect people can get there. Second thought here is that we don't get to make the rules. Heaven is the home of God. And only born-again Christians are going to be there. Because only born-again Christians' sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. So challenge with evidence, try to find an example that people are good at heart. There are good people, people better than I am, people better than you. But that doesn't mean they're good. There's none good. Only God is good. And we need to understand that. One final thought, Anonymous, when people make statements like that, um, it's evidence to me that the Holy Spirit is already working on them. So you might just look around Ask Jesus to show himself to you. I trust he'll do it. Adam says, we're inside just four minutes, I think, or three minutes for this half of the program. Adam says, how can we tell if someone is a false prophet? Adam, we can tell if someone is a false prophet because what they say doesn't come to pass. We can tell they're a false prophet if what they say contradicts revealed will of God in the Word of God. The prophet, the standard for prophecy is 100% accuracy. God tells the future as though it were the past. And we've got especially now at the end of a year, we always get this heading into a new year, you've got a, a whole bunch of false prophets all over the internet making all these crazy claims and they're getting more and more followers and and making some money in the process, um, if what they say doesn't come to pass. They're a liar, the truth isn't in them, and they don't belong to the Lord. Read Jeremiah 23. Read Second Peter. And see how harshly he deals with false prophets. And for all these people claiming to speak for God, they better be telling the truth... 100 percent accurately or the condemnation awaiting them is going to be heard this jesus was very hard on on false prophets and he will continue to be uh, in the in these last days thank you adam for the question hey we've got 30 minutes left in the program the music is going to be starting in any moment now uh, we'd love your live calls and questions we expect the phones to be quiet this week but if you've got something on your heart, you can get right in, 340-9585, or you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Uh, we would love to have uh, your participation. You're more interesting than I am. Well, we've got 30 minutes left. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the second half of our program. I promise I'll try to do better at this half than I did the first half. Uh, Our first question is from Rudy. He says, I have a question about raising kids. Now that I'm a believer, how do I discipline my kids to behave? I didn't do well before Jesus. Do you have any tips? Um, Rudy, I'm 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 an expert in this. I'm an expert because like you, I did not raise my children to know the Lord when I got saved. Uh, our boys were 18 and 16. Now, they're good kids. Please don't misunderstand. And they were never out of control. But I raised them to be selfish. I raised them to be prideful. I raised them to be like their dad, which is the worst thing I could possibly have done. Uh, and so I'm an expert on this. Yeah, I can I can give you some tips. Uh, the first thing is, you got to be in love with Jesus. Now, I'm gr- glad you're a believer, but You need to be consistent, and I mean really consistent. They need to see now a dad who's a believer, and uh, if if there's a wife involved here, a mom involved, the same thing is true for her. They've got to see a a mom and a dad that love Jesus, that love one another, and they live what they preach. Now, nobody expects you to be perfect, but Rudy, we need to want to be perfect, what that means is your kids need to see that your relationship with God is serious, that you value it so much that you're going to establish rules in your home that because they're children, they have to follow. Now, you don't tell me how old your kids are. They will probably rebel against that. But remember, that's why we're the parent. And so here's what we do. We say this house now belongs to Jesus. Have a family meeting. I was never big on family meetings, Rudy. When I got saved, uh, I remember calling a family meeting. My kids, along with Paula, had no idea what was going on. But I had to tell them. And I'm looking at at young adults, 18 and 16. And I just told them, look, everything I've ever told you is wrong. I I had to tell them, I don't know what's right yet. I'm brand new at this. But when I find out what's right, I'm going to tell you. But this house now is under new management. Jesus is the one in control and we're going to serve him. And so you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, and and things were going to change. And I expected them to change. And we sort of worked through all of that together. Now Paula was always super consistent and, and they understood who Jesus was and all that. They just didn't know him. But when they saw the power of God in my life, such power that my life changed. Well, they knew He was real. So you start establishing ground rules. There's not going to be any of this kind of music. There's not going to be any of this kind of video games. There's not going to be whatever it is. They're not going to. I would never, even as an unbeliever, I would never allow my sons to talk back to their mother. Uh, I would I did better if they talked back to me than 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 to their mother. And so you just got to tell them. Here are the rules. Now, with an eighteen-year-old and a sixteen-year-old, I'd let them know that that I need to know where they're going. If, if there's no more staying out all night, there's no more running the streets, there's no more this kind of behavior, that kind of behavior. And they didn't respond super. I mean, they loved that things were changing for the good, but you know, because I got saved didn't mean that they did. But they understood through hard lessons learned, that I was serious about it. So the consistency was really, really important. Secondly, don't feel guilt because you didn't do well before Jesus. This is one of the things you can tell your your family. Look, I I know this sounds to you like I may be a hypocrite because you've seen all of this activity, all this behavior in my own life. But you see, after meeting Jesus, all that changes. And so I'm not going to feel guilty. I'm not going to apologize to you. You can apologize to him for your old behavior, but but I'm not going to apologize to you for setting standards just because I didn't keep those standards before. And then you tell him this. Watch my life now, and you're going to see that I'm going to keep those standards. So show them. Show them. You know, Rudy, my personal reading in the mornings now is uh, currently, uh, I'm in the, the prophecy of Hosea, the minor prophet, and just today, what I was reading, um, speaking about Israel, now the, 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 this is a, a, an Israel-specific message, but there's immense application for those of us who are Christians. Israel, um, both northern and southern kingdoms, they're God's people, and they're supposed to be worshiping God, and they're doing all kinds of horrible sins, and, and um, um, God's telling them, you've got to stop. Now, they didn't listen. I hope you will. Uh, and, and here's what he says relative to your kids. He says, therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution, and your daughters-in-law to adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution, nor will your daughters-in-law when, they, or nor your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery, because the men themselves consort with harlots and sacrifice with shrine prostitutes. A people without understanding will come to ruin. Now, here's what he's saying. You're supposed to be my people, but your children are seeing you behave like the pagans. So you should expect your children to behave like pagans. And I get asked a lot, you know, Paul and I, we do some marriage conferences and we get to talking about kids in question and answer sessions. Um, People ask us about this. And when I tell them, the one thing that you can do, and I'll speak to you, Rudy, you're the man in the house. The most important thing you can do to set an example for your children is to love their mother passionately, unconditionally. They need to see that the two of you are walking together, that you are walking with Jesus. The next most important thing you can do is make sure that your kids see that your relationship with Jesus is real. In Ephesians, Paul says to to fathers, don't embitter. Another translation says, exasperate your children. It is embittering, exasperating when kids see us say one thing and live another thing. We drag them to church and we tell them how they should behave but we don't do it ourselves. And when children see their parents being hypocrites, they're going to rebel. God's saying, look, I won't, I won't punish them. Now obviously as they grow, they've got their own accountability before God. But if they don't see mom and dad in love with Jesus, if they don't see mom and dad consistently living for Jesus, why would they ever want your Jesus? My last thought on this, Rudy, is this. You know, when we do uh, baby dedications here, uh, one of the things that I always include in the baby dedication is... um, um, the sort of instruction that what we're really doing here, Lord, is dedicating the family, the parents to you. They're promising to raise their children in the fear and the, the nurture of the Lord. And so we pray that mom and dad's Jesus will be so real that the first time this infant is aware of his or her sin, that it would be the most natural, most instinctive thing in the world, Simply to say, I want my mommy and daddy's Jesus. I need to be saved. So setting an example, the most important thing you can do is to love Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul. So Rudy, I hope that helps you. And God bless you. Thanks for coming to the family and your children will be blessed even if they rebel against it a little bit. Let's go to line one and talk to Ruben from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air
1: god bless you pastor ron merry late christmas and i wish you a happy new year uh, thank you, Ruben. you're welcome uh first of all i just want to let you know that dad and i are doing absolutely great again again awesome. i have to say this thank you to you and your wife and your congregation and everyone who prayed for us during this this horrific time of covid um want to thank you guys we're doing well but at this time, I'd like to ask prayer from my mom, who is in a nursing home. Uh, mm. Saturday, she was tested positive for COVID. Apparently, uh, a nurse had it, and she didn't tell the supervisors. And mm. she, uh, uh, seven people total got it. And these are elderly, you know, people. Yeah. And so... We're believing in God, that God's will will be done. So just uh, keep my mom in prayer. And plus all the other people, uh, I don't know who they are, but keep them in prayer. And, you know, we have to pray for one another nowadays with this pandemic going on. And um, if you don't mind, I have a couple of questions. Um, I was, as you know, I've been reading again through the Bible, and I read Matthew and Mark, but I had to go back and read it like twice because I was noticing some things that I guess I didn't notice the first time. I believe it's in Matthew when it talks about Jesus' crucifixion and burial. Um, I believe it's in Matthew no. or in Mark. You, you, it's, in both, it's in both. Yeah, yeah but there's a, there's something that's because one of them has it, the other one does it. When It says when Jesus, arose, when he resurrected, that there was a... Or, or I think they moved the, the. Gabriel moved the stone. I don't remember. God, I don't remember. Anyways, there was a big commotion and dead people, or did I read it wrong? Uh, were yeah. uh, arose from the dead. I didn't yeah, read that. Matthew, I was like
0: Matthew twenty seven. Matthew.
1: Okay, okay. So, dead people arose. Were those saints of God? Were those old prophets? With uh, or were they just regular lay people? And then uh, the second question I have is, why did Jesus always tell people after he healed them not to say anything to anyone? (laughs) And And then the third one, if I can, what lake are they referring to that he kept crossing back and forth? Was it the same lake over and over again, or was it a different one. And I'm going to listen on, on the song, if you don't
0: mind. Okay, that's great, Reuben. Thanks very much. Let me do the last question first, cause it's easy. The lake they're talking about is the Sea of Galilee. Um, it's interchangeable, the word for sea and lake, and so different translations, but uh, it's the Sea of Galilee. And he would go from one side to the other side, Capernaum. Um, you know, that was the area that Jesus' ministry was primarily focused on. In fact, yesterday's message Reuben, if you want to listen to it uh, tonight, it's online at CalvarySA.com. I talked about that moment when um uh, the, 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 the the Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go to the other side, and halfway across they got met with this furious storm and they thought they were gonna die, and Jesus walked on the water to them. And of course that's when uh he, he Peter said, Lord, if it's if it's you, bid me to come out to you on the water. Uh, but that is the the Sea of Galilee. Um, so that's the, the sort of the center part of Jesus' ministry, and he would often go back and forth on both sides. Uh, one side, you'll remember, is where uh, Legion was terrorizing people, um, the, the Ten Cities, the Decapolis area, and Jesus was often uh, going back to those places. So that's the last question. The reason he told people, don't tell who I am, you'll, you'll, you'll remember that nobody listened to him he said don't you tell and they they immediately told anyway but the reason jesus told them not to tell is because he knew that if all of these miracles would come to light then the people would come and try to force his hand and 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 make him become king and it wasn't the right time for that so jesus we have to remember was on a time schedule and uh, he couldn't go into jerusalem publicly declaring himself as the Christ until exactly the right day. That day happened to be April 6, 32 AD. Um, and we call it the Triumphal Entry or Palm Sunday. Um, that was the time that he was pointing to. So whenever they wanted to come and get him, you'd see the other places in the Gospels where Jesus would sort of slip through the crowd unseen. Um, that was supernatural. And it was because he knew they wanted to, to take him by force and, and make him be king. It just wasn't the time. Again, nobody listened to him. Uh, Nobody listened to him as soon as he said, don't tell them," They went out and told people anyway. But uh, Jesus was just, nope, I'm on a schedule. It wasn't the time. Uh, The other question, Reuben, is one we get asked a lot about on this program. Matthew 27, it is obscure. I think it's verse 56. Um, It's an obscure reference that none of the other gospel accounts, and people have been arguing for centuries over why it's included there. Um, I, I think it was included there sort of as a precursor to the day of Pentecost when the when the Spirit was going to be poured out on the church for the very first time and 3,000 Jews got saved. I think those righteous men, um, saints of the past, remember it's a Jewish context so these aren't born again Christians but these are people who believed in the coming Christ and were justified by faith like Abraham was now what we don't know and there's no way of knowing we don't know if these were people um for instance people that would would be included in hebrews chapter 11 some of the really truly righteous faith giants of the past like abraham and moses and others um or if it was just the righteous people who lived during the time of jesus and were there um, and 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 were followers or people that wanted him, uh, or were were waiting for him to 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 take the throne of David. We don't have that information, but what happened was when Jesus died, there was a, a huge earthquake, and the 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 tomb split open, and and the souls of those righteous people, again not perfect people, but righteous by faith, the souls of those people came back into their bodies, and they hung around until after Jesus' resurrection, and then they went into Jerusalem and appeared. I personally think, again, no way of proving this, but I personally think that when they appeared in Jerusalem, their message would be that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They did kill him, but he didn't stay dead. And I think that was sort of... um, whetting the appetite for those 3,000 Jews that were going to get saved uh, the first day when Peter preached the message on the day of Pentecost. So uh, that was 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, by the way, Reuben. So um, we, we don't know their identity except they were believers by faith. Um, and uh, if they were famous or, or, or not famous, we have no way of knowing. But it's an interesting passage of Scripture and we have just no information about it. Reuben, thanks a lot. We will be praying for your mom. It's a hard time now because so many people are um, they are unable to visit the nursing homes and family. And people are suffering in, in private, really, really hard things. Tammy says, Pastor Ron, do you think that kneeling in prayer is the only real way to honor God in prayer? Um Tammy, I don't know. I think God is much more concerned with the posture of our hearts than the posture of our body. Uh, I'm an old guy now, Tammy, and and if if I kneel on my or uh, kneel in prayer for any length of time, I'm probably not going to get up without a lot of help. So I don't think that matters to God at all. I think prayer is just talking to the Lord. I think we need to be diligent in in pursuing that conversation with the Lord, but I also think that uh, if we go before him with the right heart, uh, our desire, our motive is to please God, uh, then we are honoring him. So the posture isn't important. Whether your eyes are closed or open, whether you're in a prayer closet uh, or you're walking on the streets, as as you may have heard me say, Tammy, um, most of my prayer is when I'm walking. And and that doesn't mean just when I'm out walking with Jesus, but when I get where I am as I'm moving around here at the church or or involved in other things, I don't want to keep a conversation going with Jesus on all day long. And so um, the only thing that matters, if you want to honor God in prayer, just make sure you're going with the right heart. And the best way to find if your heart is right is to, to really honestly examine your heart. Can I pray, Lord, nevertheless, your will not my will be done. If you can't pray that, then your heart's not right before God. If you can, then believe me, God is honored. One of the things, Tammy, we have here at the church, um, Saturday morning corporate prayer. Um, it has been so rich. We've been doing it now for a really long time. It's 9.30 to 10.30 every Saturday. And, and Paul and I are always here. If We're in town, we're always here, and we're in town most of the time. Um, um, but one of the really great benefits is, is in hearing different people pray. You're exposed to different styles. We've got people that pray scripture. We've got people that just pray from their heart. And we get the opportunity to really know them and know what's in their heart. Uh, and I can promise you they're honoring God. Um, we hear other people that are, are you know, they're, they're ridden with guilt and, and, and while well, their heart's in the right place. They're really praying from tiny, tiny faith. And so if you go before the Lord, Tammy, and, and you want to hear from him and you want to make your request known, if you can worship him regardless of what's going on in your life, then you're honoring God and I wouldn't worry at all about the position. I hope that helps. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Uh, Kelly wants to know: When we pray, do we have to speak out loud, or can we pray in our minds quietly? Kelly, you can pray either way. You can speak out loud, uh, or you can pray to yourself. Um, you know, you don't want to be like the, the Pharisee, who when he was praying, it was he said, "I'm praying to himself." We got to pray to God, but but you can pray quietly. Um, the objection I've heard from people who don't want to pray out loud, Why well, don't want the devil to know what I'm praying. If your heart is right with God, it doesn't matter what the devil knows. Because you're talking to Jesus, he's the one who's going to protect you. So, Kelly, just pray. Just talk to God. And I do my best to take the, the, the mysticism out of prayer. It's just a conversation. And the purpose of that conversation is to get to know somebody really, really well. You know, when new people come to the church, Kelly... Um, you, you know, you, you're you introduced and you talk to him for a minute, but then it gets a little bit hard to talk to them because you don't know them. But when you spend more time speaking to them, then the conversation flourishes because you know them better and you're giving them a chance to know you better. The same thing is true in our relationship with Jesus. Remember, we get saved. He's a stranger to a lot of us, but the more we spend time with him, the more we talk to him, the more we learn about him. It is one of those things that we really need to do. Let's go to Laura from Garden Ridge. Be our last question of the day, Laura. Thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, this might yeah. be a little complex uh, question for the end of the day, but it's really been on my heart since I heard about the uh, the news about Ravi Zacharias, yeah. and uh, it's kind of like the elephant in the room. I just I just feel really horrible about it, and um, It's not hurt my witness, but um, I just like to, I wonder when the leadership is going to come out, and um, not you specifically, but just the leadership, the Christian leadership is going to come out and and maybe speak about that, because I know for a believer, it's really, it's really shocked me. Uh, Never, you know, something I never would have expected from uh, Robbie. So I just wanted to address that, and I'll hang up so I can hear you.
0: Thank you, Laura. God bless, and I'm sorry for your pain. Laura, uh, Laura, I've shed tears over this. I mean, this is, uh, um, uh, you know, when when somebody lets you down, um, it, it hurts. Um, uh, you know, no, no, nobody sins in a vacuum. Our sins affect other people. Uh, in this particular case, I think leadership has done a really good job. Uh, Rzim has. Um, uh, Made the stand, made it, made it public that that it, it, he's guilty. Our investigation uh, has demonstrated that he's guilty, and they have apologized to the victims, asked for prayer for the victims, um, but at the same time, um, um, they've they've accepted responsibility. Now th- they had no knowledge of it, um, and, and I, I think they've handled it really, really well. There was a whole bunch of well, they're trying to cover it up accusations made when this was happening, and I think that's what precipitated them on on Wednesday last week of of taking that step of saying, look, he's guilty, or, or we'll have more information coming later, but I really believe that they've taken responsibility for it, and I know they're reaching out to the victims. So that much I know, and I think that's all the responsibility we take. I don't think it's necessary. I am I'm, I'm I'm a Christian leader at one place, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, two places in my own home. Uh so we 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 understand that we don't try to cover it up nor make excuses for it. Um but but this is this is an issue now between RZIM, the victims and then uh, by acknowledging that that the sin occurred, sins plural occurred, uh, I think they're doing a really good job. Accepting the responsibility for it, um, it is very painful. Um, I'm grateful that you said it's not affected your walk with the Lord, other than than the pain. Um, our hope is not in man, man will always fail us. Um, and and Rabbi's sin has left, all, left a lot of hurt people. Uh, I was a huge fan, and uh, I, like I said earlier, I won't listen to him anymore. Uh, even though the content is great. Uh, I I want people to know a Jesus who can change them. Um, That's not the case. Thank you for the question, Laura. I'm sorry you're hurting. I am too. Tomorrow we'll be back, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.